interaction here where we have a conversation about each one of these attributes that the author of Hebrews talks about. Um, because everyone here has some perception and something that they know of, of Jesus, then I think everyone here should be able to give a scripture, give an anecdote, give some time in which they interacted um, or, or they have some feedback about these attributes of Jesus. You may not have something about all of them, but I think all of you have uh, valuable contributions that I want to hear about. You know, yeah. Oh, oh uh, yeah. Into the microphone. Yeah, there we go. Uh, can you hear me better now? You could pull it off too if that's easier. I don't know. It might be easier to hold it. That's uh, okay. Okay. I'll just come over here. All right. So, how I want to start this is um, actually, I want to read Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. Uh, or it says, Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard lest we drift away. So I heard long ago from a Bible teacher when therefore is ever stated, you need to know what it's there for. So chapter two, verse one is, is the, it, 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 gets, it gets its its impetus. It starts rolling from chapter one. And chapter one is basically the basis for understanding all of the subsequent chapters. So when we look at what this chapter is about, it's about Jesus. It's about who is Jesus and what's his authority and why do we want to listen to him? So that is the therefore, that, that chapter one is kind of the, the, the initiation of all of the concepts within Hebrews and it's the foundation on which they stand. So it's a strong statement. Do you agree, Len? So um, yeah. you guys will have to unmute uh, your yourselves to talk, and this is going to be pretty interactive. So go ahead and just interact. We've got this microphone on the speaker. Hopefully, to pick up sound for. When you're bit. not speaking, though, mute. And be careful about feedback, though, because they have their own microphones. Yeah. So so uh, give it a shot, but but um, yeah, we'd love to have the feedback. So. All right. Okay. So my first, uh, well, let's, let's read it, okay? Chapter 1, verse 1. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power. When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. I'm going to stop there for now. Okay, so my first point was Jesus is a spokesman for God. Okay, so what is a spokesman? It's basically with the authority and with the knowledge of what the author is saying, okay? Um, so it's not like a prophet who hears something, doesn't have first-hand knowledge, but a spokesman is someone who's like, you know, you think of a spokesman as someone who gets in the room with whoever they're representing, mm -hmm. 
and they have a conversation, they dig in, they have back and forth questions, and they understand deeply what the topic is. So Jesus is coming from the standpoint of that he, he is an authority. Um, he's a spokesman for God. Um, a prophet, you know, is a spokesman for God, but they may not have the full picture. If you look at some of the prophetical books, it takes a long time for some of the things to unfold. But one thing that Jesus does is, is you look at the Sermon on the Mount, right? How long did it take us to go through the Sermon on the Mount? 18 weeks, I think. <laughs> yeah. You know, everything he says there is so yeah. profound, mm -hmm. so full. Right? So as a spokesman, he's got words to say it. Let's go to, uh, I want to go quick, you know, John 1, 1, right? Yeah. Um, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? Um, so that's Jesus, is that he's kind of, that's, that's kind of his nature. It's like, that's what he's made of, is the Word, okay? So, that's his authority, that's what he's speaking to us about. I'm going to go to John chapter 8, verse 38. It says here, okay, this, so this is a scenario where Jesus is ha having a conversation. Um, there's Pharisees and some of his disciples there. Um, Right, and, and some of the you know Pharisees are being controversial. In verse thirty-seven, he says, "I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father." So right there, it's saying that Jesus has seen the Father, and so that's that interaction that he's having where he is actually. You know, having this conversation with God. Okay, so that's one thing. It says when we see Jesus, when we spend time with Jesus, we're spending time with his representative. Someone who's been there with God and knows what he's saying. Okay? Make sense? So I want to go to chapter, John chapter... 14 verse 10 and he says do you not use this conversation with his disciples I think Philip was there he asked some questions um, about you know show us the father and um, he says do you not believe I am in the father and the father in me the words that I speak to you I do not speak on my own authority but the father who dwells in me does the works or So anyway, once again, he is getting his authority from the Father. I just lost my voice here. Flipping things around a little too much here. Okay. So in that case, you know, what things, it, with that in mind, I mean, you can ponder this and maybe come back to it later. What things in your mind 
remind you of Jesus being the authority and the spokesman for God. I mean, think about it. What has God spoken mm-hmm. through Jesus mm-hmm. to you? Mm. I also want to say the authority. Well, okay. Well, you may you may have to unmute before you speak. Oh, is someone speaking? Oh, it's awesome. Let's move. <laughs> Raise your hand. Speaking. I'll, I'll I'll jump in while you guys are thinking about it. But do go ahead and unmute and speak up. But I'll just say that uh, I'm I'm really impressed that within the first whatever half dozen words we we've, we've got you know some pretty profound stuff going on in Hebrews. We're in six six or seven words into it. And, and this, this author is making all these points about who Jesus is, starting with, who knows why he decided to start with this, but starting with the, the spokesman. And maybe one of the things he's trying to get at is, is that creation was spoken into being. You know, uh, mm-hmm. it, was the, it was the word. God, God said, mm-hmm. let there be light. You know, and, and, uh, and so it may be that this author is tying in some of the God said, let there be light in creation with, mm-hmm. you know, God speaking on the word of the fathers because it begins with a word, maybe. Um, well, I mean, that does fit in in the sense of he later gets to um, mm-hmm. God laid the foundations of the earth. Mm-hmm. And that's point, you know, kind of down at the bottom. And he fashioned the heavens. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that is precisely one of the things. It's the attribute of Jesus. I mean, the Word is how, in Genesis 1, you know, the Word is what he spoke, and the earth came into being. And, and um, that's, that's what he also said in John chapter 1. Um, I think it's interesting. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry, Charlie. No, that's fine. I, that was the point I wanted to make. So go ahead. Fill it in. I just, it's interesting in that first verse that all of human history is divided into across the um, sending of Jesus. He talks about the past, and he's talking about now. So all human history is uh, divided right there on the coming of Jesus into the world. That's, yeah. Yeah. It's not doing anything. Okay. Just personally, 
when I came to the Lord, I couldn't relate to the Father at all. Mm. I can relate to Jesus. And mm. it, it took some years, uh, a lot of years actually. Um, but now as I read that, that, that provokes affection in my heart for the Father because what Jesus has spoken is what the Father would speak and how Jesus is to me. That's how the Father is. But I didn't know that then. I just thought I was a major frustration to the Father. <laughs> so things like put somebody in between and kind of, you know, ease the tension. So it actually provokes um, affection for the Father in my heart. That's an excellent point. Yeah. That's, that's so good. Because Jesus represents the Father. So if you, if you see what Jesus did, and he's the express image of God, which, mm-hmm. did we read that verse yet? I think we did. Verse 3. Um, mm-hmm. He's the express image of God, so then therefore, when Jesus acts in a loving manner, that's the Father. Mm. grabs us. I think the question is um, what ways have Jesus shown us the Father personally? Mm -hmm. One of the big ways for me is when I think of the Father I have trouble believing sometimes that he's concerned about the little tiny details of my life. You know? uh, And then over and over, the Holy Spirit has reminded me, what did Jesus say about that? And I go to the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus said that the Father notices the sparrows and how much more does he care for us. And then he mentions the Father again at the end about um, trusting the Father knows that we need all these things mm-hmm. um, to seek first the kingdom of God. So he refers, he gives me the words that assure me that the Father really cares about the details. Yeah. So that's one a big one for me. And if, if I start to question things, I always try to think, what would, what did Jesus say about it? And it gives me a lot more concrete place to put my feet. Well, you're, mm-hmm. you know, both of your comments have actually lead me to jump to kind of midway down the list. Mm-hmm. Um, what verse was that? I don't know. He inherited an excellent name. Mm. Um, if you go and you look at that verse, uh, which one is that? Oh, that, that's right. Oh, the verse four. He has inherited by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. So when you were mentioning those things, one of the things that came up to me when I saw that and was researching this was, you remember, you know, years ago, they used to have this poster with the names of God. Mm. And I'm saying, that is the most excellent name, is you can't pin a name to Jesus, mm. but you can pin a lot of names to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Right? You, you, yeah. Can't, you can't just use one thing, right? Remember in Revelation? Yeah. Where it says, 
He's got, he wears a robe with a name on it, but no one knows what that name is. Mm-hmm. It's good. So we can't pin it down to one name. Jesus knows what it is, but mm-hmm. we can describe him by that list of names. Mm-hmm. Wonderful Counselor, you know, Mighty God. Um, I don't know, you guys can go down the list, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's he's the, he's the Redeemer. He's the Messiah, the Christ of God. Um, you know, so there's so many things mm-hmm. from Jesus. He is the I Am. He's the Good Shepherd. Um, so that is the excellent name that Jesus has, has shown us. Um, and when he walked on the earth, I mean, this author here mm-hmm. is it's like secondhand reporting of like, wow, he has an excellent name. Mm-hmm. And he knew about that. And, and so therefore, you know, as mm-hmm. chapter 2, verse 1 says, let's, let's listen up here because this is important. Mm-hmm. Someone with that much right. within his being wanted to give us a message. So let's, let's listen. I have just two thoughts. One, this whole part about the expressed image of his person. Um, I'm thinking of when Philip asked Jesus show me the father and Jesus says how do you say show me the father (laughs) you know like you're looking at him I'm the expressed image of the father and so I was thinking about that and then just personally um, to answer the question too I do remember one specific time in my life it was very uh, I don't know it was just very Uh, stood out to me that I had an injured heart from a person and was so wounded and the Lord like really met me in that wounded place and I had this basically an encounter with the Lord and I remember getting the the revelation like so clearly that I had interacted with the Father Like, in the wounded place, somehow the Father comforted me. And I never had any distinction before between, like, necessarily Jesus, Holy Spirit, Father. To me, it was just kind of like all, you know, like I didn't really know necessarily one over the other or which one necessarily, like, I had interacted with. But in this one particular situation, when I was so wounded and I had this encounter with the Lord that healed me, I knew that it was the Father somehow. And I was like, oh, that was the Father. And I had kind of this holy awe in it. So I don't know what that means, but it just, I thought of it when Diane mentioned her, um, what she talked about too, about the Father being so, so uh, attentive to sparrows, how much more, how attentive he is to us. You know, how loving. So. All right. I think that question of his name being greater, I wonder, you know, that it's like all these pieces are kind of tied together, but that, but the Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. It's as if the author is, um, making Jesus as close as close as possible right here and yet distinguishing between the Father and the Son 
Yes. There's almost no, it's like you yeah. can't put, you couldn't put a bookmark between those two right. concepts, both of them. And so it's like in, and I think the backdrop is, as we said last week and Karen brought out that, that the author is, set, is presenting the supremacy of Jesus against the backdrop of some false understanding about uh, the powerful angels that had been mediators and that they had engaged with in the past. And so Jesus was kind of new on the scene. I mean, he's, he's visualized as the Messiah in the Old Testament, but here you have a flesh, and, a flesh and blood Jesus that has come to earth. And so he's take, the author's taking the pains to uh, identify the, the who the son is. Uh, and he's making them, he puts him right there, the radiance of God's glory. You can't, what's the difference between the sun and the radiance of the sun? Right. And the exact representation of his being. What's the difference between the real McCoy, mm-hmm. pardon the pun, and the, and the other, and Jesus, because they're both the exact same, he's saying. Mm-hmm. I just think that, I just think that what he's getting at there is, there is nothing, anyone, there's no one closer to God, the one, the Yahweh, mm-hmm. than the Son. Right. Yeah. 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 The exact image of God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. right. Yeah. Can you, I jump forward on the list? I don't know if I. Did. Yeah, you can. We can jump the list. That's okay with me. Yeah, and the brightness of God's glory was another one that, yeah, I, I, I was excited about actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it's interesting that I, I actually read it. There's a footnote in my Bible that that gives some details about that. Uh, it expresses a brilliance em, emanating from a glorious source of light. Mm-hmm. So, so when he says that that he's um, the brightness of his glory. It's, it's just like blinding light. Okay, mm-hmm. so you remember um, at the Transfiguration, mm-hmm. right, that um, Peter, um, James, and John went up on the mountain with Jesus. Mm-hmm. Right? And they're standing around, and then all of a sudden they see Jesus revealed. Yeah. Okay, so there was this bright light, and that's when the God affirmed Jesus, too. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they fell on their faces. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is the brilliance. It's like so overwhelming mm-hmm. that we in our human flesh can't really endure it. We have to go higher, mm-hmm. you know, duck down, mm-hmm. something like that. That's mm-hmm. that's what Jesus is. Mm-hmm. He's, he's, he's the brilliance of God's glory, mm-hmm. right? He's, and and if you if you go to where was it Revelation twenty three, mm-hmm. they talk about the city. It says there's no need for the sun and the moon anymore. That's not how it's lighted. And, you know, the sun and the moon, I don't know if the, the sun and the moon don't exist anymore, but it doesn't matter because... Because um, <laughs> they're not as bright as him. Because <laughs> they're not as bright as God. <laughs> uh, yes, what, 23? Uh, 22. Oh, 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 sorry. Not too far. Oh, this is a different one. Right. 21, verse 23. Okay. It says, The city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, mm-hmm. for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. So there's Jesus. You know, the Lamb is its light. Wow. 
he's he's like yeah you just it's all the same all the time because of the light coming from Jesus so that's the brilliance that he's talking about that's the image of God um, okay um, was one other thing where was that So Isaiah 9, 6 and 7 was one of the ones which kind of it, it kind of led me down to that scripture when I was doing some research, which talks about who Jesus is um, in Isaiah 9. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because says here, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of his increase, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Mm-hmm. So this speaks to um, you know, the prophecy about who Jesus is and when in, in Hebrews he's talking about um, Jesus upholds everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, he's the image of God. Let's see, hang on. His name is exalted. So there's the list of names um, that I got earlier. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, it also talks about uh, authority. So one of the things that was interesting in here is he starts talking about he has my inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they did. So he's got an inheritance uh, of various different things. Actually, this goes past its original thing. I'm going to jump out of the first couple of verses and a little later where it talks about um, verse 8 says, to the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. So, what does this mean when he's talking about the scepter? Scepter, of course, is the um, the rod that a king would use to as his rod of authority. Um, so that designated that this is the king and he's got authority and you need to do what he says. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so when it talks about the government being on his shoulders, that is Jesus. And this is the prophecy which was fulfilled with Jesus, proclaimed by angels. And now here's this author saying, yeah, that was Jesus. Mm-hmm. He's the one who has authority um, to be the ruler of the kingdom of God 
and he will do it with righteousness. Mm -hmm. um, so when we deal with stuff that's going on around us, mm -hmm. it is Jesus is the one who's got the ultimate say. Mm -hmm. um, you know, um, it says here that um, Okay, so anyway, that's uh, no, that, that's the whole concept of him being an authority over things that are going on within our world. And being a, a king gives him authority in the kingdom. Mm -hmm. Which, you know, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So he is the one who is able to bring that about because he's got authority, He's been appointed from old. He's got the character, the nature, the righteousness, the wisdom to understand how to do that. Um, all right, does anyone have anything to say about the whole authority in the kingdom um, that from their perspective about Jesus' authority over things that has been revealed to you? As you know, I mean, we all study the scripture and look at stuff, so mm -hmm. right. So, when we talk about Jesus having authority, so how does that apply in your life? How does that apply mm -hmm. around us? Well, there's so much in that because, because he does have all authority and we're given over to him. Um, we can rest in that authority that no matter what happens to us, even if it's bad, right, God can turn it around and make it for our good. And so um, he has all authority. So we, we really are completely unhindered by the devil in that sense, like by the ways of evil, because God has authority. So that's why Jesus says, don't worry about, you know, who can throw you, you know, who can, what can mere man do to you? Don't worry about that. You know, fear him who can, who has authority, <laughs> right, to throw you into hell if, he, if that's, you know, he's the one that has all authority. And so when we're given over to God, we can be so at peace. Even in dire circumstances, we can have that peace. He promised us that. And because he has all authority, we can truly rest in that. Which is why, you know, there's such crazy stories like Hebrews chapter 11. Like the Moravians who are like, um, you know, selling themselves into slavery. Why? Because they could not be enslaved. They were free on the inside. <laughs> and they knew that. Therefore, they had the, they had the, uh, you know, ability to give of themselves because they really had no worries. They were in Christ, and Christ has all authority. There's also just so much on this in John 14 through 17. 
And so all of this, as we talk about it, I keep wanting to go back and look at John 14 through 17 because it's so loaded with the mm -hmm. same message from Jesus' own mouth, you know? Nebuchadnezzar, right? Mm -hmm. that, that God 
had his heart in his hand too. Um, you know, he, he was able to move on his heart to bring him to bring execute judgment on Israel mm-hmm. and then bring them captive so that they would have, you know, the remnant that seventy years later would mm-hmm. you know, be right. be a people that would return back into the land. Mm-hmm. So God's able to do that. He's got authority. So, you know, we can think that we know what's going on, but yeah. um, <laughs> and we can make some you know, I mean, we're not to sit back and do nothing, but you know, it's like, okay, mm-hmm. first check with God. <laughs> yeah. Long ago, I read this book, this guy, Henry Blackaby, he said, okay, mm-hmm. find out where God's working, and then go there. Yeah. You know, that was kind of a statement. It, I, it's just stuck here, so. <laughs> yeah. It's good. That's what he says here. here is the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I always thought of, you know, you get these old images of, of, you know, the turtle holding up the earth and stuff in these old Greek mythology or whatever. You know? mm-hmm. like, no, it's actually Jesus is the one who holds things together. Mm-hmm. It's not, not something that people made up that's holding the earth together. It is He's upholding all things by his power. You know, and I know that, you know, there's people that are doing down the road fusion research and doing various different things, and they're trying to figure out how plasmas interact with, um, you know, generating energy and, you know, how to, you know, test explosions within nuclear reactions and stuff like that. But you realize that they don't have all that figured out as to how the atoms are held together. (laughs) Yeah. You know, but Jesus upholds all things by mm-hmm. His power. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the power of the sun is a fusion reaction. Okay, mm-hmm. it's it's creating massive amounts of energy, and it has for millennia. Mm-hmm. You know, that power is something that Jesus is upholding because mm-hmm. He spoke it forth and said, "I'm going to make that happen." Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's that's the power that He's He's upholding. Those kinds of things. Yeah. Anyway, I wasn't going to talk at all about angels this time, so anyway, he talks a lot about angels, and Len mentioned that too, that it's a comparison. But so if someone else wants to take that up some other time, I'm not going into angels. (laughs) About which part? The, The inheritance part? No, well, yeah, right. He so he compares angels. He says, "Let the basically saying let the angels of God worship him," and he's saying, "Well, here's what the angels were given, but you know, Jesus is given, you know, basically that he's a son, mm-hmm. right? He's, he's he's mentioned as a son. Right? So if someone wants to study angels, they can do that another time. So one of the other things that I thought was rather interesting, he, um, he says in verse five. Um, to which of the angels did he ever say, you are a son, to beget, today I have begotten you. Mm-hmm. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. 
So I always go, begot. What does that mean? What, you know. So I started looking around. Actually, I found in the scripture a couple places where Paul says, you know, I have begotten Timothy, my son, mm. and, and Onesimus, right? So he's using it in the context of, of he discipled these men and sent them out as representatives. Hmm. So he, he basically poured what he had into them hmm. and made them, you know, apostles or, you know, mm -hmm. able to go out and minister the word. Mm -hmm. That's what Paul did for them. So when God is saying he has begotten mm -hmm. Jesus as his son, you know, in, throughout scripture you, you realize he hasn't actually, you know, created his son. Jesus was there. But he's, he's given him authority and form and, and said, you can go out and do this now. Mm -hmm. You can be my son. Mm -hmm. And it says that I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. So there's this relationship mm -hmm. that is created. When he says I've begotten, there's a, there's a father-son relationship mm -hmm. created. That's what that's meaning. And so to me, it was kind of a revelation of like, oh, it's, you know, it's not a creation type thing or you know it's not like Jesus wasn't there it's like it's 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 God creating a relationship of father son hmm. mm -hmm. and then when Jesus is incarnate he's got that father son relationship hmm. so interesting I mean, that's you know I, I bet other people could come up with yeah more surrounding that but that's what I got around that yeah I think this audience, I think this audience would have been astounded um, from coming from a the, you know kind of the Hebrew or Jewish mindset where everything, a lot of the things that he's mentioning here in the first five verses, they attributed to God the Father. Yeah. So the author here is petitioning the creation itself. You know, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and then he's like, yes, but the word and then John you know I don't know if John's gospel I guess it was written after this but yeah. the idea that Jesus was the one who is the agent of creation mm -hmm. and, uh, and Jesus is the one who holds all things and sustains all things I'm quite sure that this group of Hebrews leaders would have attributed that to the father so hearing this about Jesus the son probably for I don't know the first time but uh, it would have been new material for them. This would have been big. This would have been big stuff. Mm. Yeah. Especially when you consider that Jesus was there as a man. Yeah. He was a man who walked the earth. He wasn't somebody far off, but it was someone that, if they hadn't heard him preach or or been there. They heard a message that came from this man, mm -hmm. and now attributing these attributes to him would be like just shocking to the Jewish mind. Mm -hmm. yeah. Right. When I'm wondering if that even the begotten, mm -hmm. if that has to do with Jesus' humanity. Mm -hmm. And then also he distinguishes here. You know, the fact that if they would have known the scripture that that he made man a little lower than the angels. So here he is elevating Jesus above the angels. So he has to deal with the, that 
how Jesus was a human being, a little lower than the angels in the sense of his humanity, but in terms of his authority and his origin and who he is by his identity, he elevates him to just a whisker away from the Father. Yeah. Right. So that, that would have been a word to put it to writing, I think. That's a really good point. Yeah, that's a good point about the, um, yeah, uh, the scripture talking about you know, angels and men's relationship. It's not in the same category. That's good. All right. Okay. Uh, so there was another thing here. Uh, verse 6 says, When he again brings the firstborn into the world. It says, let all the angels of God worship him. But this term firstborn, um, this, this goes back to that scripture, um, Colossians 1, 16, or, or 1, 18, where it's talking about um, that he has the preeminence over all of creation, over everything. So if you think about it, firstborn, what's he talking about here? So there's a couple of ways that I took that. And one is out of Colossians that he's got authority. He's got preeminence through appointed authority from the Lord. But um, um, you can think of it also as first. First what? Okay. Was he the first one to be resurrected? Well, I can think of, I thought immediately of, well, wait a minute. There was a guy who got thrown into the grave with Elisha, right? Mm -hmm. He got resurrected, so he was first, right? No, he wasn't first. What Jesus was first at mm. was he is the Lamb of God. Okay, so what that means is that the Lamb is used for sacrifice. So sin is imparted to the Lamb of God. Mm -hmm. So Jesus was the first one that was killed and resurrected as being a sacrifice, right? Every previous sacrifice for sin has been killed and remained dead. Okay? Jesus is the firstborn in the sense of he is the lamb that sin was imparted to him. He died, was killed, and he came back to life. So he's the firstborn. He's the first one to have experienced the, the redemption pathway. Mm -hmm. of conquering death. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I think he, to go with that, like he was resurrected into his glorified body that lasts forever. Whereas other people who were resurrected like Lazarus or, you know, mm -hmm. other people just were resurrected yeah. into their regular bodies and they died again. Yes. <laughs> so... They weren't the firstborn in the sense of their glorified body. So it kind of goes with what you were saying, why why that is, because of the uh, sacrifice for sin. And, and along with, with those two things, um, I'm thinking how he's the firstborn of the, of the, the race that is that has union with God. Mm-hmm. Because he's a God man. Right. And he's bringing us into union with him. Yeah. I mean, he 
He actually lives in us and we live in him more than theology. Mm -hmm. So he he's the firstborn of a new race. Mm -hmm. Like he now has an attribute that the father doesn't have, and that's that he's a man. Mm -hmm. But he's God. Yeah. And we're part of that. We're being brought in as part of that race mm -hmm. that has union with God and yet we're we're humans. Mm -hmm. That's a really powerful point, yeah. and I thought about in that in terms of um, what Jesus is actually accomplishing in the figurative, in the language of bride and groom, uh, in the language of we're in Christ. There's some there's a mis there's a mystery here that's very deep. I think about our in, in the very end of Revelation. I, I'm probably not going to say this well, but at the very end of Revelation. The word wife of the lamb is used one time, and it's only used at the end, after the consummation of the bride and groom at the wedding feast of the lamb and all that takes place. There's one place where the angel that I'll show the wife of the lamb, and he shows the city, the New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven where there, where there is no temple. And so we're, we're somehow going to be united with the Godhead in a way that is yet to be disclosed to us. Mm -hmm. it's, pictured as a new race in one sense and it's pictured as a husband wife mm -hmm. becoming the two becoming one new kind of thing and so i think it pictures some kind of unity with god that is yet to be described it ends right there in revelation mm -hmm. and it's a it's just a such a fantastic thing peter tells us that we're participants in the divine nature already because we share his nature mm -hmm. but there's coming something in the future that is more like a husband-wife union that uh, we get to know what that means. So, mm -hmm. very, very powerful images. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm reading this book on, 